Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This is a podcast from Minute Media. Radio. Guys, it's been way too long. Bit of a hiatus here for Rum Buncher Radio, but we're returning to you for episode number 70. My name is Trey Anity, joined by Marty Leap as always. And tonight we are joined by special guest Mike Piersack of the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. Coming on to talk Pirates baseball. We're going to recap this season tonight, get into the offseason, talk about Mike's backstory a little bit. A lot to preview <laughs> as we get into the episode tonight. Really, like I said, we want to get into your backstory. We know you're a Michigander. Now a Pittsburgher by trade here. Tell us about yourself a little bit, how you got into journalism, really how you got into baseball. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I grew up, first of all, thanks for having me. Uh, I grew up in Michigan, like you said, over on the west side by Grand Rapids. Um, and, yeah, really, like, never really uh, focused on sports journalism, like through high school or anything like that, but um, ended up going to Michigan and um, had loved sports all my life and kind of found my way into the student newspaper there. Um, and then it just kind of grew from there and, and really ended up, um, interning at the Post-Gazette in Pittsburgh and, you know, job came open, uh, right at the end of my internship covering, um, Penn state, actually Penn state football. And then, uh, some other movement went on and ended up on the pirates and just finished up my second year there. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's not really the most interesting thing in the world I know, but it's just, uh, you know, I've enjoyed it so far and here I am now I'm talking to you guys. <laughs> Excellent. And it's been great to follow your work, Mike, throughout these last two seasons. You know, it, it might not be the most interesting at times, but this is Rum Buncher Radio. We assume everybody listening is a, a pretty diehard Pirates fan, so they're certainly interested in it. But, Mike, you know, you, you said it. You kind of get into the industry a little bit. You know, was baseball kind of something you were always interested in covering? Was that, you know, something that kind of just, just led in, in your career there? I know you said football, but, you know, baseball for you, what was it kind of in your mindset growing up? Yeah. Well, so I played baseball like all growing up. Like I, I love baseball and um, was really the only, well, I guess you could count the Red Wings too, but, but during my like, you know, prime fandom in like my teens or whatever and into high school, like the Tigers were really good. Um, so the, you know, like growing up, that was my baseball team. And so, you know, I always liked baseball, but, but to be honest, I, when I was getting into like journalism, it was always kind of Baseball was intimidating to me, to be honest. Like I, I was always thinking, like, man, would I really want to cover a 162 game season and like short off season going into uh, you know spring training and like all the stuff in the off season, all the you know ins and outs of baseball that maybe I didn't understand at the time. But um, I've really enjoyed it. Like I, I, Pirates fans have actually been super welcoming too. Um, you know, it's, I, I've I've actually really been you know enjoying my time on the Pirates, even even you know with like you said, obviously the results and. Um, there are certain Pittsburghers who are like, ah, I don't care about the pirates. You know, they'll never, they'll never be good. I don't care about them. But, 
um, you know, even with all that, people have been super friendly, um, accommodating in Pittsburgh. I enjoy Pittsburgh. I, I, I like covering the team. So, um, so yeah, it's been, it, it was kind of a surprise to me how much I enjoyed baseball. Originally I got into a thing. It was maybe like a temporary thing, but um, no, it's been great so far. Yeah, it's awesome to hear. And, you know, like you said, it's a grind. I mean, 162 games, yeah. it's a lot more than maybe 16, now 17 in the NFL. Obviously more than basketball as well. Just talk about that grind, you know, getting through a full major season. You tweet everything of bolts of lightning strikes. It's crazy how fast you guys can get that stuff turned around. But, you know, just talk about covering a team for such a long season and kind of the grind that goes into that. Yeah, I mean, it, it hits like uh... – well, okay, so my first year was the COVID shortened year. So, like, it, that wasn't really a grind. It was like that, and then it was over. Um, the But this year, like, it, I, 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 it kind of hit, like, May or June when the Pirates really started to kind of, like, fall off. So, obviously, they were, like, pretty competitive in April. Not that anyone thought they were, you know, that meant they were going to make the playoffs or anything. But it was, like, you know, the storylines were interesting, whatever. Um, and then it hits, like, May and June, and, and it's not, like – I always hate saying it's a slog because I can't really complain, right? Like it's still going to the ballpark and covering and writing about baseball. So like I can't really sit here and be like, oh yeah, that, you know, the middle months suck or whatever. Cause it doesn't like, it's still, it's still uh, fun, but, but it is sometimes a challenge to like come up with, you know, fresh story ideas and not repeat the same old thing. And I know you guys, you know, probably deal with the same thing too, especially, you know, covering a team that's out of the pennant race by like June. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, you know, there's that part of it, but, but to be honest, like, uh, going to the ballpark like i know it's cliche but you really don't know what you're going to see every day like there's different storylines even even on a bad team there's different guys making debuts or getting called up or being dfa'd or whatever so like there's that part of it too like i always find that the days you think are going to be the slowest are the ones where just suddenly like there'll be a bunch of roster moves and things like that like out of nowhere so um you know they keep it fresh for us but but you know you do have to be careful about getting into like too much of a rhythm of things yeah you know like you said it, it can get very uh, monotonous with, yeah. with the baseball coverage, especially covering a team wasn't good. Um, you know, I've been with Rum Bunter now since the spring of 2016. So I took over just in time with the Pirates <laughs> being good, um, which is, you know, a blessing and a curse. Cause the one nice thing of it, I will say at least is those first three years of my life, um, 92 aside when I was two months old, um, that they were good. Mm -hmm. I was able to just sit back and enjoy it truly from a fan perspective. But um, yeah, no, I, I feel the struggle on that one where, you get into the middle of the summer and I think one thing that'll be nice for the pirates next year is you'll have a lot more of those call-ups of anticipated prospects. So that'll create a lot more excitement during the summertime, even the team is struggling, but a summer like this past one where most of your big time prospects weren't on the door of the majors yet, things definitely can get very monotonous. And uh, like you said, it can be a real struggle to not repeat yourself when you're looking for things to talk about. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. And, and I agree with you, like, you know, sort of transitioning into the, the pirate side of things. Like you're right. Like this year it was probably uniquely like uh, uniquely, I don't want to say like boring because it still wasn't, but like uniquely, I guess monotonous maybe where, where it's guys that on the roster that maybe you don't like, no one really thinks they're going to be part of the long-term rebuild. Right. Like, you know, guys like Colin Moran or Kevin Newman or whatever, like guys who've been here for a while, um, but there's no one like right there to take over either. So, um, so yeah, you know, it's, it's not like, it's not boring. Like there's still things to watch and you're still, you know, looking to watch even those fringe guys to see if they can turn things around, whatever. Um, but you know, there, there are certainly brighter days ahead in terms of like fresh storylines and guys that people really want to see on the baseball field. So that'll, that'll certainly help, you know, and, and I, every season's different. So 
I don't really have any any sort of expectations necessarily, but um, but you know, it, it, it's it, this one was kind of uniquely, uh, you know, how it was because everything was still trying to be figured out on the team. Yeah, and, and one thing too with seasons like this that I do think can get overlooked in the long term, but in the in the heat of the moment are always cool. Is you know, getting your stories like a John Nagowski this year. Yeah, you know, guys like that who otherwise are probably never even really going to make the majors. I mean, I know Nagowski had a little bit of time with the Cardinals, but you know, kind of get their 15 minutes of fame, get their cup of coffee, and, hey, you know what, that's a cool story for Nagowski to tell down the road to his kids, to his grandkids, that sort of thing. So I think that's the kind of stuff that in seasons like this past one, people do overlook that definitely can be cool moments that, you know, like I said, not long-term have no impact whatsoever on the franchise, but in that moment are always just those cool stories about baseball. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, I, you can't, like, ignore that stuff too. Like, um, you know, I think of Chase DeYoung even, like, when he came up, I don't think anyone's like super excited about Chase Young, but his story is fantastic, man. Like he grinded to get back to the major leagues, uh, and it's a shame his season ended how it did. But like, there's there's stories like that too, you know. And and uh, you know, Jason Mackey and myself for the post that we try to do a good job of getting down to the minor leagues and making sure that we're finding stories down there. Like you know, so you you keep it fresh. It's not you know, like I said earlier, I don't want I never want to say that it's boring or like complain too much about it because um, you know it's a job writing and going to baseball games. So like. You know, I don't have any delusions about what yeah. it really is, but um, but you know, there you just kind of have to get creative with with you know when when the pirates are bad and people aren't paying attention to the big league product and and you know things have gotten maybe a little stale there. You gotta you know you gotta go the other way and figure out what they do care about. You know. Yeah, and you know, I think guys, you know, the beat writers like you, Mike, I think you know, kind of help make those stories to an extent. You know, help those those storylines really get out to a big group of people. You know, you talk about this season; there was a lot of really just crazy storylines, negative, positive, with this Pirates team. And you started, like you said, you know, with the COVID year, just a, a bit of a different start to your career here in Pittsburgh, Mike. But you know, what's what's been your favorite memory so far? There's been a lot of just crazy times since you you got to the Berg. Yeah, I mean, that like I still. Am um, I guess romantic maybe about like the big moments like even a season like this, the the Jake, the Jake Stallings like Grant walk off Grand Slam was awesome man like that that the ballpark was actually quite full for that game and it was a great series against the Mets and um, you know so so there are still moments like those are those are my favorite like memories are are being in a ballpark for a really cool moment and obviously when you're there for however many games of the season I was there for, like you you have a better odds of seeing it. Uh, I do feel bad that I missed both the Will Craig play uh, and the key Brian Hayes missing first base play. So I don't know, maybe, I, maybe it, I'm bad luck when I'm away from the ballpark, but, yeah. um, but no, like, like the individual moments are still my favorite part. It's still, still give me goosebumps just like everyone else. Like, um, you know, even if I'm not, you know, watching the team as a fan, like in a full bar ballpark where something cool happens and the crowd goes nuts, like, if, if I ever lost, like, getting chills for that, I would feel like, uh, you know, I'm not enjoying the job anymore. So that that's still, to me, my favorite my favorite stuff. That's so good to hear, too, because I think there's a lot of people, not a lot of people, you know, but there's people out there that cover teams that just don't have the passion for it. And, you know, you, you came in at a really weird time. What was that like kind of having to cover the team when you, you couldn't be around them like you regularly would and, you know, get that coverage? It was really hard. So I uh, – I, I, took over literally in March. Like my, the last thing I did, um, oh, went, so I covered, yeah. So I covered Penn state uh, football and then Duquesne and Robert Morris basketball during the off season. And so I covered Robert Morris, make like clinching the, their conference and making the tournament. 
And then I hopped uh, on a bus actually to New York to cover the A10 tournament. And when I got there, like that first night, everything happened. Like Ennis or not Ennis Cantor, uh, uh, Rudy Gobert got COVID. And the whole NBA game shut down, like all that stuff happened while I was in New York. And I was like, okay, well, uh, this is like these games aren't being played. And I knew that when that season ended, I was just going to pick up on Pirates coverage. So basically the season ended, the tournament got called off. And now I'm suddenly a Pirates writer. So I was like, uh, I don't know anyone like (laughs) I don't know how to do this. Uh, So, you know, just kind of made do at the time. Uh, and then, you know, obviously was super thankful that there's a season and like actual storylines and games to write about. Uh, and then, you know, just kind of went from there. It, it, it was, it was odd, but it also was like, once the season began, I was sort of thankful for it in a way because it did even the playing field in terms of like competitiveness on the beat. Like no one was getting, you know, great stories from sources or anything like that. No one was getting in-person contact and interviews that you didn't get or anything like that. Like it was all even, we were all getting the same thing. So it kind of did allow me to like, you know, obviously I'll never say that I'm thankful for COVID, but it, it did it did allow me to kind of like get acclimated without worrying about like getting beat on on you know breaking news or anything like that. So that so that part of it was nice, even if the rest of it was obviously a drag for you know myself and everyone else. Yeah. Yeah, talk about that competitiveness a little bit more. That's something I've always been so interested in because, you know, from the fan side of things, we see a tweet from Jason Mackey or, you know, Mike Piersack, whoever, Rob Rinnenfeld. But, you know, we don't we don't really know, how, you know, how competitive it is sometimes to, to maybe get that tweet up or to get that story out. Yeah. What's it like, you know, competing in a market to cover a team? Yeah, I mean, I don't like I really tried not to get too competitive with it, like, you know, you see those guys every day. Like, it's not like, you know, if, if Alex Stump breaks a story i'm like at his throat like you know we're not we're not like fighting each other in the press like we're all we're all friendly like we're all friends up there so it's 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 not really like that it's more that just like you know it's it's part of the job that if someone else breaks news you got to go try to confirm it right like and when i was first starting like if i don't have any like sources or like i've never met anybody like it's impossible for me to do that so so that's really all i was saying it's not it's not like i don't ever like if, if you know i don't ever get mad at myself or, or whatever, if someone else breaks something like I, I, you know, there are a lot of people who, who do get competitive about that. And I understand why, because it's part of the job. Um, but I, I really try not to like beat myself over stuff like that. It's more just in that first year, like I said, where I didn't know anybody, like what, you know, what am I supposed to do? Yeah. It's gotta be impossible. I mean, just getting to a new town in, in that time with, with everything else going on, um, but, you know, you've acclimated very well. And I think a lot of Pittsburgh, you know, follows your work daily and, and really goes to you for the Pirates coverage. What's that moment like when you kind of get to that point uh, of a lot of fans knowing you and, you know, you kind of feel like you're starting to be one with the community a little bit? Yeah, I mean, that's what I was saying earlier, just like with the acceptance part. Like, um, I uh, I try not to take myself like too seriously in terms of like, you know, I, I don't have any delusions as I'm like a celebrity or anything like that. Like it's still, <laughs> it's still on Twitter, Mike. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's still like, it's still like a humble following. Like to me, honestly, what what I'm thankful for is just like, you know, if people are just interacting with the work, like, you know, that, that all that, all that is to me is um, I, I'm thankful that people are reading. I'm thankful that people pay attention to um, whatever, um, you know, if they care what I have to say or not. I don't know. Maybe they just care about the stories themselves and the pirates. Like that's, that's, you know, why they follow me. But, um, but you know, it is still like, I, you know, I, I won't take for granted that like the people who read are like the reason that this job exists. And so, 
um, you know, try to be as friendly with them as possible and try to interact as much as possible. And hopefully, you know, hopefully they enjoy me tweeting nonsense during a Pirates game or whatever. <laughs> and Mike, you know, I mean, you, you do follow the team closer than any of these Pirates fans and your coverage out daily in season, of course, and throughout the day, you know, following your Twitter, you can you can find out everything you need to know on the Pittsburgh Pirates. So let's talk about this past season and really just the overall direction. You know, we, we come on this podcast and get on our website. That team, that program constantly. What are your thoughts on Ben Sherrington to this point, the moves he's made and, you know, just the overall direction that he's taken the, the team? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that at this point, it's like, I don't know. At this point in my mind, it's still incomplete, right? Like, um, he's done w- what he set out to do, like, pretty clearly. Like, he, he uh, saw it fit to kind of tear down everything and, and continue to trade guys and build up the farm system. And I think that's the general direction that everyone expected him to take. My point of view is really just – I don't know. I, I really struggle to, like, say that, that this rebuild is going great. Like, I, you know, I, I – I know that the prospects are highly rated and I know that, that they're putting up promising numbers. And I know that, um, you know, people in general think very highly of like what Ben Sherrington has done. And, and so I, and I agree with all that. Like he, he has done what he set out to do. Like I said, um, I am just also aware that, uh, prospects hitting in high a or double a doesn't mean that they'll necessarily translate to the major. It doesn't mean that they won't like, you know, a guy like Nick Gonzalez, like he'll he'll certainly make the majors. Um, I, I it's just always hard for me to be like, okay, yeah, they're doing a good job, and this is all going to work out at the end because a lot of stuff happens to prospects, and like they get hurt or or they just stop hitting at a certain level or something goes wrong. Like it happens all the time, and so um, you know, I'm not saying that it's a failure by any means. To me, it's just more like you know, let let's see how these guys pan out because. Um, Every, you know, every player has a flaw, no matter how, you know, big or small it is, they've got something. Um, and so we'll, we'll just have to kind of sit back and wait and see exactly, uh, you know, how these guys pan out in the next few years. And and that, that to me is what makes it exciting, right? Is that you, you just don't know, like you, you can like fans, believe me, like I'm, I think that they have every right and they should get excited about a guy like O'Neill Cruz when he's just mashing home runs in double A and, and a guy like Mason Martin and, you know, Nick Gonzalez or any of the pitchers on a high A or Ronzi Contreras or whatever. Like, there's a lot of guys that, that you could very easily see, like, contributing in the majors. And, and I don't um, I don't begrudge any fan who wants to just get excited about that. Um, but part of it for me is just seeing exactly how quickly they acclimate and how quickly they arrive and, like, uh, how what their real ceiling ends up being. Um, and, you know, I think in the next, what, couple years or, or even this year, we'll really start to see like that, that core group take shape, you know, whoever it may be. Yeah. And one thing where I agree with you there is, you know, with the prospects, you know, obviously not everybody's going to hit, you know, and I think that's one thing that I really like that Ben Charrington has done um, as opposed to Neil Huntington at the end of his tenure. And obviously I know you weren't here for the town of the Huntington tenure, but the last probably like year and a half to two years of Huntington as general manager, I felt like a lot of times in trades, he put too much focus on quantity in the returns. And I feel like Charrington has done a nice job of balancing quantity with quality. And it's created a much deeper farm system, which I guess what I'm getting at is if you have that deep farm system, like they have now, that kind of gives you a little more wiggle room where two, three guys bust. You're not completely screwed. Then like the pirates were, 
you know, when Tyler Glass now didn't work out here or when Austin Meadows first came up and was hurt all the time or when Nick Kingham didn't work out, there weren't those other guys behind them like they have now. And I personally think that's one thing Charrington has done a great job of is just flooding the system with multiple players at each position around the diamond that have the ability, have the potential to be contributors at the major league level, because that is not something Neil Huntington always did. Yeah. I mean, to me, I, I do kind of see it as like a little bit of a quantity approach though, you know, like, um, like I think that they certainly, I mean, in any trade, in any front office, they're going to have like guys that they really like, right? Like that was the thing with Adam Frazier for Tuka Peter Marcano deal. Like all the reports were, were like, yeah, no, like the pirates really liked Marcano. They wanted him in the Musgrove deal, didn't get him. And so they came back to the Padres and said, all right, give us Marcano now. And they got him. And so like, you know, that that's like, I guess the way that I think about it is that like front offices don't, you know, they have their own complete different set of like rankings, right? Like they don't, you know, they don't log on to MLBpipeline.com and say, okay, we we're, we'll take the number 16 guy rated by Jonathan Mayo or whatever um, that, you know, they have, they have their own way of breaking things down and, and, and different reasons for wanting different guys. Um, but to me, I, I feel like the system has really been built up uh, in like, the back end of those rankings, if that makes sense. Like, like the, you know, the 40 future value type guys, like guys, guys that on their own in the system, you wouldn't think like, Oh, this is a top guy, but when they're all grouped together, it just gives you more of like a backstop where if, if, you know, if that strikeout rate for Mason Martin doesn't work out well, Oh, well, like we have other guys that are in the system that, that, you know, can conceivably come up and contribute. Um, But I think another thing that, that should be noted at least is that, really more often than not, especially with a team like the pirates are right now, the, the best prospects in your system are going to be guys you draft for the most part. Like Henry Davis, you know, is first overall guy. Like he's, he's the guy because you drafted him in the top 10. Uh, you know, Nick Gonzalez was the number seven pick, but even still he's a top five guy. Like, um, you know, Quinn Priester was, was a first rounder, obviously Cruz and, and some of the other guys were traded for or signed an international, you know, an, an international draft pool or whatever. Um, but you know, the, 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 like, you know, even I look at like the Orioles and it's not directly like comparable, but the Orioles basically didn't trade anybody. They just built themselves on the draft entirely. And that's why they have a bunch of top end like prospects, because when you're bad and you get a top five pick, like those are the best prospects that you can get. Um, it's not always, always easy to get them in the trade. So I don't mind that Ben Charrington went and got a bunch of guys in the middle part of their system, basically, and just built that up as deep as possible to make all the teams like, you know, competitive and make all the lineups deep and all the rotations have, you know, two or three guys in the minor leagues that could conceivably make a difference. I I guess that's kind of the way that I think of the rebuild strategy, at least in my mind to this point. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And I think it's definitely one that can be effective. And, you know, with looking at it from a Pirates uh, fan point of view, a buddy of mine who's a Red Sox fan, I remember when the Pirates hired Ben Charrington, I was talking to him about it, and he had nothing but great things to say. He still to this day thinks the worst things Red Sox ever did was get rid of Ben Charrington, and he just spoke at length to Charrington's ability to build a team through the farm system. Now, obviously, in Boston, he had the ability to go out and spend it for agencies. He saw fit more so than he ever will have here. But I just think one thing with Charrington, too, that personally gives me confidence, I think should get fans confidence, is he has this track record of, you know, he won one World Series of Boston – the World Series that the Red Sox went on to win in, what was it, 15, 16, 17, somewhere in there 
was largely with guys that Charrington acquired and brought into the system before he was fired as their general manager. So the, the fact he has a track record here too is something that gives me confidence that he will be able to build this thing back up and get the Pirates back to being competitive again. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think that that's certainly fair. Like one thing he definitely did, because um, I've seen people too talk before about how uh, what he was there, what, four seasons in charge officially? Like he won the World Series yeah, in 13. About right, yeah. Uh, and then – but every other season that he was in charge, they finished in last place. And, and you know, that is – that is fair to bring up, I suppose. Like, you know, I, I, I like that's just a, a fact. So, like, you can't really, uh, you know, refute it. However, you do have to look at what you just said. That that he, you know, through that time, he was building up the farm system and doing a, clearly a pretty good job of analyzing talent. Um, you know, whether it be through trades or through the draft or whatever, uh, because they just went and you know won a World Series again a few years yeah. later. So, um, so yeah, no, that like I, I think that Ben Charrington has the tools to be able to. Uh, you know, build up a farm system. Um, it's really just kind of a matter of, of what it looks like with the Pirates and can they pick up the right guys. Um, and, you know, they've certainly picked up enough guys where if a few of them work out that they have a better chance at it. Um, but, you know, like you said, they probably have to be more cautious than Boston was in terms of like signing free agents and all that. So there's that side of it too. But, um, yeah, I mean, he has a track record of, of doing it with Boston. So uh, there's no reason to really believe that, you know, he's completely forgotten how to analyze talent or with, with Pittsburgh. It's more a matter of like how exactly it looks with the specific players that they go forward with. Yeah. And it's just so much different. You know, like you said, the, the money that could be spent in Boston can't be spent in Pittsburgh. And we see this, this strategy of quantity and with small market teams. And I think, you know, there's just certain limitations in Pittsburgh that have kind of forced this strategy to an extent, but I'm with you guys. I think, you know, give it time, see how this plays out. I, I, I like the strategy to this point. And I really, you know, I like the direction of this team. We've talked about it a lot on this show. The, the Pirates lost a hundred and what, 101, 102 games this season. But, you know, there's still so many times where it was fun to be a Pirates fan. You know, we talk about these 22 Pirates and some of the changes that we're going to see happen before that season begins. One of the main guys, one of the main pieces of this potential rebuild is Brian Reynolds. And, you know, you talk about his contract at this point. We still haven't seen him extended. You know, do we see that extension come this offseason, in your opinion, Mike? And, and what does that look like? When's the, the time frame on that? It's really hard to say if, like, I think we'll see it. Like, I, you know, I – if I said that, if I said that, I think it would just be speculative. Like I'd just be guessing. Uh, what I, what I can say is that I think it may it would make sense for it to come this off season, um, because I don't think that they're super keen on spending big in free agency. Um, I think that they're my 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 the way that I read Ben Charrington's postseason comments was just that um, he is wary to sign free agents and potentially block a guy like O'Neill Cruz or Mason Martin or, you know, Kanan Smith and Jigba or whoever um, when they're ready to come up from triple A. And so I, I understand that while I, I, I don't know how much I agree with it. Um, I, I do get it. And so uh, if they're not going to spend big in free agency or spend much money in free agency, well, you they still have a ton of money left over. Like, like they're still going to have to, um, DFA guys to make room on their 40 man. They're still going to have to, um, you know, basically cut salary again. And so you're going to have a ton of money to spend. Like even if they, I, I did a couple weeks ago, like basically did a sort of ballpark what the pirates, you know, if they brought everyone back just currently on this 40 man, what would their payroll look like? And it's like 38 million, which is 
like 16 million less than what they had even last season. Um, and it's going to go down from there more than likely. So they have a bunch of money is my point. Um, and if you're not going to spend enough free agency, then you might as well figure something out with Brian Reynolds uh, or, or uh, you know, whoever extend, extend some guys and, and just make sure that your core is going to be there for when these prospects are ready. Uh, and obviously Reynolds makes the most sense just because he is so good. Like he's, he was just so good for them this season. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know exactly what they're thinking on that in terms of whether they have any sort of urgency to get it done. No one's really been hinting at anything, including Reynolds side of things. So, uh, I, I I won't say that I think that they will, but I I think that it would totally make sense to do this offseason. Yeah, you know one other thing this offseason I'd be really interested to watch. Um, like we said, obviously they're not going to go out and spend a bunch of money in, in free agency. We're not going to see them go after like Max Scherzer or anything of that sort. But at the same time, I'm very interested to see what they do with the pitching. Um, and I'd like to get your opinion on it. I, I feel like you can't go into next year with the status quo of this pitching staff because at that point, I mean. You're not going to look to compete next year no matter what, but I feel like you also can't go into the year with basically waving the white flag of we're punting on things like they did this past season, largely because I feel like you can't waste another year of Brian Reynolds, waste another year of key Brian Hayes. So I would be very interested to see what they do with pitching in the offseason because I could, on one hand, I could see them adding two or three guys, cheaper guys in free agency to, to raise the floor of that starting rotation. But at the same time, like you said, Charrington's made it clear he doesn't want to block guys. You know, are you going to risk having a Ronzi Contreras blocked? Are you going to risk, you know, uh, potentially Carmen Majinski, who might be able to make the majors this year, having a guy like that blocked? So I'll be curious to see what they do with the pitching this offseason because that is one area I think we could see them spend to some extent in free agency just so they don't go into next season basically as a team who just enters the year with no hope whatsoever again. I kind of think that like, well, that pitching, the pitching side of things may be a perfect example of what, I, of exactly what I was talking about with blocking guys, because I, I don't even think you have to go down as far as the elite guys like Machinsky and Contreras. You could easily build like a rotation of young guy, like young ish guys who haven't gotten a lot of run in the majors just from the guys that started last year. Like you could go Mitch Keller, Brubaker, Crow, uh, Yahoo Ray and Bryce Wilson. And like, while the, I agree with you that I don't think that's a rotation that wins a ton of games, like those are guys that you could con, you could convince me that you need to see more of, that you'd like to see more of. And so I wonder if they don't go this offseason and sign like veteran guys on like minor league deals, you know what I'm saying, and give them a mm-hmm. chance to like, you know, keep them around for spring training just to just in case like, you know, I don't know, Keller gets hurt or, or, or whatever. Um, and, you know, I'm under no delusions that like, Will Crow is going to turn into the ace of the staff down the road, but it's also like, I'm, I'm not convinced that this was his ceiling this last year. Like he wasn't all that great, but like, I think that there were certainly flashes of like much better. So I don't know, like it, that the, the starting pitching is going to be so interesting to me, um, whether they really see an opportunity to add there because they already do have plenty of names. Like, you know, the five I named doesn't even like that obviously doesn't include Stephen Brault, Chad cool, who obviously can start, um, Dylan Peters, who was yeah. maybe their best pitcher this season, which is weird to say. Uh, like there are other and plus Ronzi Contreras and and you know uh, Carmen Machinsky, like you said, or, or you know however fast Quinn Priester develops, or 
Um, you know, Bear Bellamy went up to AAA at the end of last year. Like, if, is he a starter that they are interested in? Like, I don't know. Like, there's a Omar bunch of guys. Cruz, another guy got to AAA that it's just obviously they like him. They just went out and got him in, in the Musgrove trade, you know? like Yeah, they, they yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So, so like, you know, what What do we – you know, what What exactly does that mean? Um, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I, I, don't, I don't know if they're going to see opportunity to add there with, like, like even a guy that needs to be in the start, you know what I'm saying? Like, cause if they go and sign, I don't know, like James Paxton, for instance, who's a free agent this off season, like you're obviously not going to stash him in Indianapolis. So are you willing to sign a guy like that just to make your team a little better, but then lose out on seeing what, you know, JT Brubaker is capable of. I don't know. Like that's a very interesting part of the team to watch. Yeah. And I, that's one thing you definitely, like you said, you take out like Brubaker or maybe like Mitch Keller and let's say they show up to spring training and it looks like the work they did in the offseason, they finally start to put things together. And then you're kind of sitting there saying like, oh, shit, what do we do now? Because we went out and added this guy. So I agree with you. That's going to be a very interesting thing to watch with them. And I just, I'll be really intrigued to see. I do – I personally think what they do with the rotation in the offseason is going to tell you a lot about how much faith or confidence they may have in some of these guys developing as a potential piece that could help. I mean, I feel safe in saying – Barring something crazy happening, Bryce Wilson and Miguel Ure are definitely in this rotation to start the year because they obviously went out and acquired them with this new front office. But other guys like a Brawl, like a Keller, like a Brubaker, I, I think where they go to start the year will tell you a lot about how they view them long term. Because I mean, you look at Brubaker. sorry, I, didn't, I don't mean to cut you off, but should probably should probably mention Max Kranick too. I, I completely oh, yeah, forgot him, but like yeah, there, yeah. there's another guy like. Yeah. yeah, sorry, didn't mean to didn't mean to cut you off. Like, no, so. you're, yeah, you're, yeah, but yeah, that's another good point because there was times this year, Cranick looked like he could be a very good major league starting pitcher, and you know, at worst, he's probably a heck of an arm out of the bullpen. So you're definitely going to want to get him major league innings this year. And I think Brubaker is in a similar boat where even if Brubaker doesn't work out as a starter, he's got the stuff to be a really, really good reliever. So you want him in the majors, developing at the majors because I feel like they're both guys, Brubaker a little bit more so than Cranick, who really don't have a whole lot left to benefit from continuing to pitch at the triple a level definitely yeah absolutely and 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 you know like i said that's why that's why starting pitching to me is so interesting because at the same time like with all i said i do agree with what you said like the, the if the pirates really wanted to compete next year if, the, if they were interested in like actually going and trying to get wins next season they would go sign a few starting pitchers like a few proven starting pitchers because they, their starting pitching was really not good at all this season uh, and so bringing back all of those same names would basically be a, a way of saying that, like, yeah, we don't you know, we're not too worried about wins and losses this year. We're worried about development still. Um, so, you know, that that position will say a lot about what they do think of this year. And I think what's a really tough position for them is honestly, there's nothing wrong with them still being more concerned with development at this Definitely. point. But selling that to the fans, the PR of that. Selling that, especially to the average fan, maybe not the diehard fan who realizes, hey, 2023 really is the year things can start to get turned around here. Selling that to those people is going to be difficult for the Pirates to do. And no matter what any front office for any professional sports team says, if they're going to make a move, yes, you should never base it solely on the PR of it, but that's always going to be weighing in the back of your mind, especially with the Pirates who – you know, already have a lot of repairing, I feel like, to do with a lot of the fan base after what is what has unfolded basically ever since the 2015 season ended. Yeah, I think maybe, like, 
maybe the way that you just sell that and and you know obviously like it doesn't really matter to me how they sell it but i think that maybe the the, the way that they do it is just like <laughs> like the I, well okay i'll say it like this i guess the benefit of like running out the, that rotation that i mentioned earlier of guys who uh you know maybe didn't like super impress but like you could stand to look at them a little longer is that for those guys especially crow especially brew baker especially keller this kind of is their last chance, right? Like, if you don't do it this year, like, sorry, man. Like, we don't have any – you know, if you guys still have an ERA over six, over, like, 20 starts or whatever, like, see ya. Like, we got other prospects coming up, man. Like, we'll try the bullpen with you or something, but but this ain't working. So, um, so so you know, there is that side of it where things could, could get better. But, you know, like I said, I would totally understand if they were just, like, you know, Will Crow did everything we really asked of him last year. He was the only guy who didn't ever really get hurt. He made a bunch of starts, pitched a bunch of innings for us. Uh, you know, we he at least earned a look in spring training and maybe a spot in the rotation in the season. And, um, you know, maybe you have a shorter leash with him, but you at least give him an opportunity over, you know, some veteran free agent who you could bring in. I, and I don't know if that's exactly what they're going to do, but like I said, it's, it's kind of the one thing that I'm watching at least. It's going to be so interesting. And, you know, that keeps the fire lit under the guys and the bigs. Keep going because there is going to be so much depth throughout this organization. And, Mike, you know, we kind of transition into the, into the later half of this episode now. There's going to be a lot of changes in baseball as a whole. And, you know, there's already been a lot of changes since you since you got into Pittsburgh there. Let's talk about this upcoming CBA, what you expect to happen, and just your thoughts on some of the rule changes that we saw go down during COVID. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's really hard to tell. Like I think that I think that it was more hostile during COVID to me. Like I you know, there there haven't been any like there haven't been any moves where it's like um you know that I think that there's definitely going to be a, C, a CBA agreed upon or anything like that, but I also it it hasn't seemed quite so hostile, I guess. And and um you know, we we've talked to Jacob Stallings a little bit about it, who's the current player rep. And obviously it's his first year. So, you know, even if he was a little in tune before, he wasn't like as in tune as he was. So I don't expect him to have any like hot takes or anything like that anyways. Um, But he was saying like, listen, everyone's goal is still to, we're we're hoping that we play baseball next year, you know, and he's obviously not in charge of it, of it all anyways. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I still think that there's like, some people seem to be real gloom and doom about it. And maybe I'm just being like, blindly optimistic. I still kind of think that they're going to come to an agreement here. Um, but, uh, you know, I, 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 it's hard to say exactly what it's going to look like because there just haven't been many talks on it yet, you know? Yeah. And, you know, it has seemed a little bit more optimistic from some of the reports we've seen. And you, you have to imagine that COVID, just the craziness, created a lot of that animosity between the players and the owners there. But, you know, do, how – I guess how – you know, stubborn or the player or players going to be with these owners come the CBA, you know, what, what do you think the players are going to be pushing for the hardest when they try to agree on something here in December? Well, I, I you know, it's hard to say. Cause I think the owners, are, I think it's more going to be like rebuffing things that the owners are going to try to give to them. So, so you asked earlier about like rule changes, right. And, and obviously they had universal DH last year. That's something that the players would, would, I assume would, would quite like, uh, in general, you know, obviously there's some pitchers out there who are like, no, I want to hit. But like, uh, I think in general, like, like the players would, would agree that, uh, the universal DH is, is a better thing for them. And so, um, 
you know, to, in my mind, like the owners taking that away for this season and saying, nah, that was just a last year thing probably is going to end up as fodder for them giving that back and saying like, okay, now what will you give us? And, um, you know, I don't know. I think there's probably part of, part of the owners who are going to, you know, ask for a salary cap or floor. And I'm, I know that there are fans out there who want that. I'm certain that players will not want that. Uh, (laughs) And so, you know, you know, we'll, we'll see exactly what happens with that. Um, You know, it's, I'm, I'm certainly not the expert on this stuff, so I I don't mean to guess at exactly how things are going to happen. I'm just kind of trying to read like what, what to me when they, when, when owner, you know, when, when baseball takes certain things away, that they already had to me that spells like, Hey, we're going to give this back to you. And it's not actually like, you know, we're not actually like, this isn't really a, a, an olive branch because we already had this and you know, that we know that we could have just kept this the whole time, but here you go. Now will you give us a salary cap or whatever? <laughs> like, uh, so we'll see exactly how it goes. Like I can imagine getting hostile. I can imagine like, I can also imagine both sides just saying like, Hey, you know what? Like, we really can't stand to lose another season after what happened with COVID. Um, so I don't know. You know, I could see it both going both ways, but at this point, I don't really have much of a read on it. Yeah. That's good to hear, though. I mean, it really is a gloomy outlook. Uh, just the months leading up to this whole thing, and we're going to see how it how it shakes out. But I, I like your take. I mean, hopefully, optimistic. I think that's a good way to be about it. You have to hope that that these players, owners, can come together a bit more than they did during COVID because it was a crazy time. And uh, there just wasn't much budge there for a little bit. We did get that 2020 season in, 2021 in as well. And, you know, the Pirates now getting ready for a 2022 season that they hope to improve on. But, Mike, as we as we get into this season here, as we get into this offseason, really, previewing into this season, your thoughts on the upcoming year, what you're most excited to see this season, and really just your thoughts on the 2022 Pirates. Yeah, just just some prospects, man. Like, I'm just excited to see how – uh, one one thing that that uh, we so we talked to John Baker today, the the director of um, coaching and player development, basically oversees the minors. Um, and I asked him about uh, you know the way we saw this year pan out for promotions, right? Um, because we saw uh, this season that they were pretty aggressive with their placement. Like they bumped they bumped a few guys like up two levels. They bumped Travis Swaggerty up three levels. Like they 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 were aggressive in making sure that guys got a challenge to start the season. Um, but then they didn't really do it. Like there weren't a ton of promotions. Like the, all the double A guys who everyone was super excited about didn't get bumped up to triple A really until the end of the season. Um, save for like Max Kranick and Bly Madras, but that's about it. Diego Castillo, I guess. Um, so I asked him like, is that typical? Like, is that kind of how you guys want to do things? And he said, no, like they felt that they were forced in, in COVID to, give guys a challenge and then make sure they were comfortable. Like they didn't want to move a bunch of guys around all the time. Uh, they didn't want to like force guys into things that, um, you know, maybe would like hurt their development. They just want to make sure everyone was on the same page, continuing developing, was comfortable with everybody around them or whatever. He used Nick Gonzalez as an example of that, of a guy that like he said, he basically said, well, he did say just straight up, if this were a normal year and Nick Gonzalez hadn't gotten hurt, he would have been bumped up to Altoona. But it's not a normal year. We want to make sure he was comfortable. He did get hurt, and so we kept him in in, in Greensboro. Um, so that that tells me that in a normal year, which hopefully next season would be, uh, they you know they are a little bit more aggressive with promotions, and maybe we do see more prospects come up to the major leagues. Um, so you know that that is the part that I'm. That's the part to be excited about if you're observing the Pirates, if you're a fan of the Pirates, whatever. 
um, if you're on the Pirates, even <laughs> like that's a, that's the part to be excited about is that help help is hopefully on the way for this organization. Um, and you know, like that 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 spells or, or like how they kind of acclimate right away will tell you a lot about when this rebuild can actually kick into gear into into actually winning games. Uh, I think we'll start to get some of those answers next year. Yeah, no, I agree. I think it'll be nice with the uh, with the prospects and the aggressiveness of it because that is one thing that, like you said, Charrington definitely did this year is being aggressive with placements. Not as aggressive with call-ups, but coming off that 2020 COVID season, obviously that was going to always play a factor, and it's now we now have confirmation that played a factor. But I definitely think there's a scenario where, you know, by the end of the upcoming season, you could see O'Neill Cruz, Nick Gonzalez, maybe Mason Martin, all in this lineup every day. You know, Ronzi Contreras and Miguel Ure, Carmen Majinski, whoever might be in that rotation. And while you're not going to be a team who's going to compete yet in 2022, I definitely think that the overall talent on the roster could be significantly better by the end of the season than it is on opening day. And like you said, if you watch the Pirates as a fan, you're a player – you cover them, whatever it is, that's the kind of thing that gets you excited because that's the kind of thing that's going to lead you seeing a lot more uh, high quality and down the road winning in postseason baseball. And, and I can also see it getting to the point, right, where it's like it's not like, um, you know, may, maybe Colt Tucker's around or, what, or, or or some of the guys from this year, but but like say Diego Castillo gets a call up, right, and, he, and he's, on, he's on the major league roster uh, and he struggles and, 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 you know, you decide like, well, I guess, I guess he may have to be DFA'd. I, I can't remember exactly what his issue is, but but say say you know a guy like that gets optioned up. Well, you bring him down, and now you've got a guy like Tuca Peter Marcano who can come up, right? And if he doesn't work out, you option him down. Now you've got Rodolfo Castro, and now you've got O'Neill Cruz, right? Like it's not going to be the same the same kind of guys like this year where um, you know Kevin Newman or, or whoever Adam Frazier gets traded away, and it's Cole Tucker who everyone's kind of seen before. And I think the excitement has somewhat waned on his stock. Not to say that he's, you know, done as a player. He obviously could turn it around, but I don't think he carries the same kind of like excitement. Whereas um, I could foresee it being like next year, where um, you know Travis Swaggerty starts up, and then he gets, you know, if he struggles or gets hurt or whatever, well, his replacement is now Cal Mitchell or Kanan Smith and Jigba or someone mm-hmm. like that, as opposed to like someone that everyone's seen before. You know? Yeah, it makes a big difference. You're not just recycling guys through. Definitely. And- you know, like with Cole Tucker, I know I've told the story on, on the show before for people to listen, but I'm still holding out hope that Cole does turn around because on, on my wedding night, Mike, Nick Caparoso could not join us tonight. He was my best man as my coder, Rum Bunner. Um, we met him at a bar in Altoona on the night of my wedding. And he was a super cool dude. And this, the best part of the story is, like, we're taking pictures with him. We're putting on social media. Obviously, Nick and I and the groomsmen, we're all on another planet at this point because it's like 1130 at night. Um, we put it on social media. And I'm thinking to myself, like, oh, crap. I don't know if Cole Tucker's 21 years old and he's at a bar at, like, 11 o'clock at night. So, like, we're, like, rushing around Googling, and he turned 21, like, 15 days from my wedding. <laughs> we did not just get Cole Tucker, like, suspended. So, at first, we had, like, that moment of panic. So, someone finally Googled him, like, all right, he turned 21, like, two weeks ago. We're good to go. <laughs> I love that. That's That's perfect. It's, 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 as, a, as a baseball super fan, it's a great wedding story to have, and I could Definitely. not ask for a better one. Definitely. And, and, and you know, just like getting to meet Cole or whatever, and, like you know, I won't say I know him or that he's a friend or anything, but, like, I, I know, like, he would be the perfect guy to, like, have in that scenario, too. Like, oh, one, of the, one of the friendliest guys. 
Yeah, he yeah. was the nicest guy in the world. Like he's sitting there talking to us like he's known us for 20 years. Yeah, he's right. We're four just drunk guys trying to talk to him about baseball. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, he seems like a class act. And that's that's something we've heard from guys that we've gotten to talk to in the system, guys that cover the team. It just seems like there's a really positive vibe with this group right now. You know, regardless of the win and loss, you know, this, there's definitely some good energy around this organization right now. And into 2022, you know, this team might not win more games than they lose. But like you said, there's going to be exciting days. Guys are going to get called up that you haven't seen before. There's going to be some really interesting storylines. And Mike is going to be there to cover it all for us into this offseason, into 2022. But, Mike, your final thoughts tonight as we wrap it up here on Run Bunch Radio. Yeah, not much. I, you know, all I can all I can ask is that people keep reading and keep paying attention, even even when it's bad. And, and, uh, and yeah, no, I, I um, you know, appreciate everyone who reads and appreciate you guys for having me on for sure. Absolutely. Thank you very much for coming on. Thanks for coming on, Mike. Yes, you can find him on Twitter at Mike D. Persak. He's wearing a a pretty cool Western Michigan T-shirt in the profile. (laughs) I like it. Definitely definitely appreciate all of your coverage and coming on with us uh, tonight. Guys, as always, you can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Music, Omni.com, or Fansided.com, wherever you get your podcasts. And guys, go check out RumBuncher.com for all of our latest work, getting into this offseason, covering potential trades, potential signings, extensions and a potential CBA that we could see in December as well. For Marty Leap, my name is Trey Yannity. We're going to have Nick Caparoso back with us next week. But until then, let's go Bucks. How to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.